0: Good
1: afternoon and welcome. We begin with an update on the very sad story of Bob Wilson. As you heard in Bob's news, the 77-year-old Burlington man developed a gaping bed store during his stay at Joseph Brandt Hospital. It went undetected for five months, and it was not discovered until he was transferred to Hamilton General for surgery. Last weekend, he passed away from... Complications of this terrible wound. Now, Mr. Wilson's family met with Joseph Brandt's CEO last week and uh, he apologized for what happened. The hospital launched an investigation and created a pressure ulcer action plan. The family has been comforted by this and they say they're happy to be involved in further action. So, we're going to look at this from all angles. First of all, how does something like this happen? How can it be prevented? and also what is the response when a medical error occur there is, there was a time when hospitals were prevented from apologizing because of legal consequences and sometimes that is exactly what the families So I'd like to hear from you. Have you experienced a medical error? Uh, What do you have to say about this? Bed source? quite common. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. And right now with me in studio, Marissa Semkew, Director of Stakeholder Relationship. Sorry, Director of Stakeholder Relations at CARP and on the line, Dr. Bob Bell, the former CEO and president of the University Health Network and the former Deputy Minister of Health in Ontario. Welcome to you both. Thank you, Libby. Hi, Libby. Marissa, let's start with you. Sure. What's your reaction when you hear about something like this?
2: Uh, well, let me just start by extending my deepest condolences to the Wilson family. It's This was a case that is truly shocking and tragic, but it is not surprising. It screams of a capacity issue. And while it's difficult to know the specifics of this exact case, what we do know is that people in hospitals are often scrambling to the degrees that they aren't able to take care of something that is so preventable. How difficult is it to turn someone a couple times a day, especially someone that is frail frail, and particularly vulnerable to bed sores, so we really need to address the serious issue at hand here. Dr. Bell, can you see how
1: something like this could fall through the cracks?
3: Well, Libby, you know, as uh, was just mentioned, first of all, to mention to the family, this is a shocking and disturbing incident, and your heart has to go out to the family the way this was discovered. Um pressure sores in patients with neurologic impairment are a particularly difficult problem in that patients don't feel the stress to their skin that results in a pressure sore. Neither are they able to communicate the the concern that they have about it. However, it is part of nursing practice, medical practice, that patients, especially those who aren't able to turn themselves, need to have their skin examined on a regular basis and I'm sure the program that Joseph Brandt is putting in place will, will reemphasize the importance of skin care in patients who are unable to actually report problems with their skin. Um, so this this does happen. It's never something that's acceptable. It's something that nurses are trained to to look out for and something that's very unfortunate when it does happen because it's simply so difficult to care for, so difficult to treat and relatively easier to prevent.
1: Yeah, and it's quite common. Uh, We were just looking up the statistics and it's 15% of patients across the country nationally develop bed sores, Marissa.
2: Yes, and at Joseph Brandt, I've I've read that they have... I talked about how their percentage is less than 15 percent but you're you're right it is something that's very common it is something that nurses and clinic frontline clinicians are aware of and so ensuring that hospitals have the appropriate flagging systems in place to highlight the patients that are at that are at highest risk and to have sort of as I said a, a sort of a more robust system where they can screen patients and are aware of it so that someone who enters the hospital because of a fall doesn't end up succumbing to the complications of a bed sore, something that is so preventable.
1: Dr. Bell, have you seen or heard of cases that get so serious that uh, they end up being a cause of death?
3: Well, you know, I think probably it's difficult to describe in this poor gentleman's case the unique cause of death. There are certainly many medical complications associated with his unfortunate accident. This is often the case in people who have severe bed sores. It may be a contributory factor. It may be the primary factor. One one thing I think that's important for your listeners to understand, when you hear a figure like 15%, that sounds extraordinarily high. One of the things to remember is that when you're recording skin pressure uh, impacts, you're also recording very, very early evidence of skin uh, breakdown or skin pressure, which may be nothing more than an area of redness. And in some ways, as you start to focus on pressure sores and preventing them, quite often the numbers of cases that you identify will go up because you start to identify these very early areas of redness and you say, oh, there's an early stage one pressure sore. We're going to record that. And of course, you're then preventing harmful outcomes from occurring by turning the patient, by protecting that area of early skin irritation. And so in some ways, you know, the higher your numbers of identified risks are, in some ways, that's an evidence that you're doing your job better.
1: That's interesting. Dr. Bell, I, I want to ask about this business of an apology because I've seen some literature on it so what what are the rules when can a hospital actually take responsibility for a medical
3: well, error well the hospital must take responsibility for the medical error as uh, living in the public hospital act of ontario it's the responsibility of every ceo to ensure that there is a process in place for investigating harm to patients the quality of care information protection act which is again, Ontario legislation requires us as CEOs to tell families or patients after investigations of medical harm, just what's happened. And you know, I can tell you as a CEO used to chair the quality of care committee at uh, Ontario's largest hospital, we inevitably would apologize to patients immediately when a medical error was discovered, best done by the staff doctor in charge of the patient's care if it's a problem with the hospital systematic care of patients very important as in this case the ceo of joseph brandt hospital stepped forward and said this is our problem we don't have the right processes in place i assume he said for preventing skin ulcers like this uh and we will change and put something better in place and you can hear the positive outcomes that i've seen reported in the press and that you just reported on the family felt relieved that their loved one's bad outcome was not going to be repeated. And quite often, that's what the family is desperately wanting to hear.
1: And how does that affect any legal Im- implications or lawsuits?
3: Well, there's been information from the University of Michigan, oh, well more than 10 or 15 years ago, they're putting in place a process whereby the hospital, its, it's doctors, its executives, its nurses, take responsibility and say sorry, but actually you reduce the risk of malpractice insurance claims against the hospital. And that's certainly been my personal experience is that quite often legal action is initiated because the family wants to find out what's happened. And the inevitable comment is we want to make sure this doesn't happen to somebody else. Now when the hospital is proactive and demonstrates to the family, the steps that are being taken And in this case, the step that the CEO promised would be put in place is an incidence and prevalence review looking for evidence of pressure ulcers. The family can feel, yes, our loved one's uh, end was not in vain There's something positive will come of that.
1: Yeah, I, I can see how important that is. I'd like to take a couple of calls now. We've got Marianne in Toronto. Hi, Marianne. Hi, Libby. Yes, I'd like to comment on this. I I was
4: horrified when I heard this story because in the 1980s, I specialed a patient at one of the acute care hospitals who had received a patient transferred from somewhere else. He had a bed sore. He was very thin. Uh, He had a bed sore that was black and hard as wood. They would not have been able to do anything to correct this. It was just horrendous and heartbreaking to see this. And As far as I'm concerned, this is abuse. There is absolutely no excuse for something like that to go unnoticed. I had been nursing for probably 25, 30 years by the time I saw this. I never saw anything like it ever in my life before or ever after, and I hope that nobody ever does. It is is a complete shock and surprise to see something so devastating as that. You, people can make all kinds of excuses. There is no excuse for that kind of neglect. And in fact, that kind of abuse should be prosecuted.
1: Marianne, thank you for sharing your story. Obviously, it was traumatizing the way you're speaking about it all all these years later. Um, thank you very much for your input. I appreciate it very much. Okay, Libby. Okay. Bye. Uh, is that... Uh, the right, it, Well, there's no such thing as the right responses.
2: Is, is that overly harsh? No, I don't Ugh. disagree that, that we're dealing with um, abuse in this instance. This individual was not receiving the appropriate care. Someone doesn't develop a bed sore the size of a football that goes down to the bone if they're receiving the appropriate care in a hospital. So I don't disagree that using the language of abuse is too draconian. Okay,
1: I think probably
3: one of the best ways to describe a bed sore that develops as severe as this is what those in the hospital community call a never event. It shouldn't happen. However, to say that bed sores should never occur is not appropriate because, of course, as I mentioned earlier, very early bed sores should be recorded, treated, and prevented from progressing further. So inevitably, some bed sores will occur, especially in patients who are neurologically impaired. However, Picking them up very early at a stage of irritation of the skin is the way that this kind of outcome is prevented.
1: Yeah, I think our our caller was referring to a a huge, horrific bed
3: sore. And that's a never event. A
1: a never event. I'll remember that. I like that term. I'm going to bring in Lisa Levin, who is the CEO of Advantage Ontario. Uh, That is the organization representing the uh, nonprofit Long-Term Care Homes. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Libby. So this particular instance occurred in a hospital, but obviously bed sores are a concern in long-term care.
5: Yes, uh, for sure, because you have seniors, for the most part, in long-term care, and uh, a lot of them are not mobile. And they have fragile skin and other issues such as diabetes, et cetera. And so it is something that we look out for all the time in long-term care. But I, I first just want to express my condolences also to the family um, because this is a, a very tragic situation. Uh, so in long-term care, we have very specific requirements for uh, assessing and checking patients for bed sores to make sure that, that, that they're addressed as soon as possible.
1: Uh, And Dr. Bell, are you surprised that the hospital did not have a protocol for this yet? Or does this go back to one of the biggest problems in our system, which is that so-called ALC, alternate level of care, where there are people in hospitals who really shouldn't be there, who should be somewhere else?
3: Well, you know, it's hard to tell from this individual case exactly where this uh, gentleman's uh, health status was. It sounded like he needed to have further surgery at Hamilton where the bed sore was identified. So I don't think he would be classified as ALC alternate level of care at this point. That's certainly an element that nursing units today have more complex patients who are waiting for care elsewhere. And although their medical care may have stabilized, they require ongoing care for things like bed sore prevention because, you know, quite often people who are frail and elderly may have poor nutrition are at tremendous risk for bed sores developing. And this needs to be one of the areas of special precaution that nursing units that are focused on frail elderly patients need to have as part of their protocol and that many hospitals do have as part of their protocol. It sounds like Joseph Brandt is going to re-up their focus on this kind of care. And, you know, I, I think that's exactly the appropriate response that the hospital and its staff should have.
1: Lisa Levin, as far as you know, do all long-term care homes have this type of protocol? Not only do they have it, but it's legislated. Uh, So we have very
5: strict legislation uh, under the Long-Term Care Homes Act that requires all homes to have a skin and wound care program uh, that also has a formal evaluation annually, and then there are annual inspections by the ministry that follows up on it. So there's very detailed requirements in the act uh, of the type of plan that homes need to have to
2: monitor uh, skin and wounds. Which is why I would just add, Libby, I think this goes beyond ensuring that hospitals just have the appropriate flagging systems in place And this goes back to an issue that the PSWs have spoken about, that the nurses' associations have spoken about, and that is capacity. Ensuring that there are enough people there to complete the tasks that are necessary and really rethinking acute care. One of the things that uh, we advocate at CARP is the need to push the walls of the hospital beyond the walls of the hospital and get the best care to the right patients at the right place at the right time. And that means putting people in their home environment. I'd love to see greater investments in home care, in geriatric home care, in geriatric outpatient care, so having physicians come to them because a hospital isn't the best place to be when you're sick or frail.
1: Well, that too. Let's take a call
6: from Jean in St. Catharines. Hi, Jean. Hi. Um, you know, this boggles the mind. Um, I'm, I've been nursing for 50 years. I was nursing for 50 years. This should be all a part of the basic nursing care plan for prevention. There's no accountability today, and it makes me ashamed to say I was a nurse. If this is nursing today, it's disgusting, and every nurse or person on that team should be fired. Oh, um... all responsible. And all this boils down to, I mean, did no one ever give the poor guy a bath or a, a bed bath or a shower? He should have been, just basic nursing care should have been turned at least every four hours. They're all vulnerable. It's just, it's just, it's just disgusting. I mean, I, I phoned him once before, a few weeks ago, about the nursing homes. And I was in support of the health care because they're overworked. The problem is it still boils down to the inspections, whether it be hospitals or nursing homes or whatever. It's the inspections. Why does the government tell them they're going to inspect? Do surprise inspections. Okay. If you're you're not expecting, well, if you're expecting a visitor, say, at home, you'll make that extra effort. You know, make it more tidy, whatever. Make a cake. But this is what's happening in the nursing homes and the hospitals.
3: Uh, Libby, your, okay. your caller is absolutely correct that Thank this you, is part of, standard, this, Bob, this part of standard nursing practice. Um, you know, and it is part of what's expected as the professionalism of providing care to patients, inspection, turning, et cetera. Um, you know, the, the, this is not new. Pressure sores have been a bane for the international hospital industry for years and years and years. And if anything, I'd say that in Ontario, there's been increased focus on prevention of pressure sores over the past three or four years, five years. As Health Quality Ontario has made this part of their reporting system, hospitals have increased the focus on preventing pressure sores. Because, of course, the focus needs to be on prevention, not on treatment.
1: Uh, yeah, the other question, Marissa raised uh, the issue of home care, getting more home care. Do you think that it, it would be easier to detect these early in home care than it is in an institutional setting, mm-hmm. Lisa? Well, it depends
5: on how much home care someone receives. So, and if the individual receiving the home care has a family member or other kind of uh unpaid caregiver to watch them so I think that it's possible in home care that situations could arise as well and it's not as necessarily monitored as tightly as uh, it would be in a hospital or in a long-term care home but if there is a family member who's available uh, who can and who's educated on how to look for skin breakdown and, and pressure sores then In that case, it would be better. I mean, the bottom line is that we want people to be in the right place uh, as they age. And hospitals are just not a good place for seniors. And, you know, many times there is no other option, but in many times there is another option. And in hospitals, seniors tend to have more delirium. Um, Just giving a senior a gravel could make them go into a delirium. And so we want to make sure that people are cared for in the best possible environment.
1: Dr. Bell, I mean, do you, at the end of the day, see this as a case of where, you know, something tragically fell through the cracks, or do you see more of a systemic problem?
3: I think it's a combination, Libby. There's no question that in the Ontario hospital industry, prevention of skin breakdown is a crucial issue that, unfortunately, is not a never event, and the aspiration, the goal, should be to make it a never event. This patient had all the risk elements associated with skin breakdown. Unfortunately, as a result of the call and the surgery that he had, he was, he was not conscious. He was unable to move, so he required total bed care. Now, that should make him a patient in whom even more time is invested to prevent skin breakdown, but unfortunately in this case it didn't happen. The thing I'd say that's positive about this story that you've mentioned is the fact that the hospital has recognized a problem with their protocols, has told the family that it was their fault, they accept the fact that the care was not what it should have been, and are endeavoring to put in place new protocols that will ensure this doesn't happen again at their hospital. I think that's the positive part.
1: Okay, let's take a call from a first-time caller. Carol in Mississauga.
7: Hi, Libby. Thank you for talking to me. You get
1: the bell for being a first-time caller. Go oh, ahead, well. please.
7: That's great. Um, I just wanted to add my two cents worth in. For years, I've been a, a caregiver. For seven years, I was a one-on-one caregiver to a lovely lady who suffered from dementia, and we went from um retirement home, assisted living into a nursing home, and these were all very expensive, exclusive homes. Uh, We even spent some time in one of the hospitals when she broke her hip. The care that is required and the care that is needed, uh, there just is not the staff or the staff mentality to look after it. You have to have, when you have a loved one in one of these facilities, you really, uh, whether you can afford it or not, either keep them at home or have a one-on-one with them, because otherwise they are not looked after. It's a matter of not necessarily of falling through the cracks, it's systemic. There just are not enough staff. The staff are stressed beyond belief. Uh, even if they can do it, they don't want to do it. It's... It's just a very systemic, very sad, very ugly problem that doesn't get taken care of. In our, the nursing home we were in, they were always advised in advance. There was no surprise visits, okay? So everybody got cleaned up. Everybody had a bath. Everybody was, you know, sparkling clean the day of the inspection. And everybody was on their best behavior. Everyone had their their uh, diapers changed and everything was, was fine. Uh, as soon as the inspection was over, Everything went back to the status quo, and it was very, very sad to see. And the, the patients, some of the patients had one-on-ones like, like my lady. Uh, a lot of them did not. And you could tell by looking at them when you walked down the halls who had their own private attendant and who did not because there was such a difference in how they looked, their outlook, their attitude, just how they were cared for. And it's a very sad, systemic problem, and I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. No matter how many promises the hospitals or the governments or the homes make, it's there and it's going to stay unless there's some drastic measures taken.
1: Carol, thank you very much for sharing your story. Uh, Dr. Bell, do you think that's one part of a solution, surprise inspections, as opposed to giving notice?
3: Well, let's make sure that we differentiate what happens in long-term care. Yeah. This was a an acute care hospital, obviously. Um, and there are several different inspection types that are undertaken in long-term care. And we will, will, I'm sure, concur with this. The regular annual inspection is scheduled because it's the process kind of inspection, making sure that there's education for the staff that's appropriate, making sure there's cleanliness in the kitchen that's appropriate, looking at processes that are occurring through the home that need to be in place all the time and that can't be hidden. You either have them in place or you don't. However, if family members or patients themselves, clients who are living in long-term care, complain to the ministry about issues of care, the ministry will undertake an immediate investigation without forewarning the, the home. So there are different kinds of investigations that are undertaken. And some of them are at the on the you know on the risk basis of a family member calling in and saying there's a terrible thing happening here, the ministry may just show up the next day.
1: Interesting. So we are starting to run out of time on this, Marissa. What would you like to leave us with?
2: Just that there is going to be a, a huge generation of individuals that are getting older and they are living longer Um, and that as the Ontario government talks about revamping the healthcare system, um, that ensuring that um, there isn't That there is appropriate staffing to cover the demands in hospitals has to be core. And I think that as more and more people age and live longer, uh, that demand is only going to increase. And so uh, CARP intends to work very closely with the Ontario government to ensure, and and with governments, I should say, across the country to ensure that um, things don't go uh, missed. Lisa Levin? Yes. um, So I definitely uh,
5: agree with Dr. Bell about the different types of inspections and quite a few are unannounced, but staffing is a significant issue that we've long advocated for. The types of seniors who are in nursing homes today are not the same that they were 10 years ago, and funding for staffing levels has not changed. So we absolutely need to get higher levels of staffing in place so that we can make sure that the best quality of care is provided to our seniors.
3: Dr. Bell? Well, you know, one of the big issues in the last election was the concept of hospital overcrowding. And when you're talking about staff not having the time, resources to deal with the patient concerns they have, you know, you're talking about overcrowding and overdemand. And this is a systematic issue. One of the most important things the government's committed to is the development of 10,000 new long-term care licenses And beds so that people who are in hospitals that don't need to be there can be moved into a care setting that's more appropriate for their needs. And I'm just hopeful these uh, long term care beds will be arriving on the scene soon to try to take some of the pressure off our hospitals.
1: Okay, well, let's hope. uh, I hope that this really was, you know, a, a one off terrible incident, and I hope there is a good result from this. And thank you all for joining us, Marissa Semkew, Dr. Robert Bell, and Lisa Levin. Really appreciate this. Thank you. Thank you, Libby. Libby. Thank you. Uh,
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio.